Well, good e uh, good morning, good at whatever time it is. I don't know. I've been up a really long time. Feels like evening. Uh, hey, my name is Matthew. I see some new faces. So good uh, to see you. Glad you're here. We're going to teach from the Bible as we always do. We've been in a series with the Gospel of Mark since Easter of last year of 2022. We are at chapter 15 and just a couple of weeks away from being done with this in-depth look in the life of Christ through the lens of, gospel, of the gospel of Mark. So Mark chapter 15, we're going to look at a story of this interesting silence of Jesus, but don't mistake his silence uh, as avoidance, but what we'll find is that his silence was actually uh, penetrating the hearts of many of those who were in his audience and that which would resonate for 2,000 years and here penetrate our hearts as well. Mark chapter 15, verse 1 through 15. And hear the word of the Lord. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus, right? This is right after he was arrested uh, with the mob and the, the leaders of the, the religious establishments. So they bound him, led him away to be delivered over to Pilate. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas and have scorched Jesus or beat Jesus is what that word is. He delivered him to be crucified. One more time, let's just pray over the reading of the word of God this morning. So Father, we just say thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you for the freedom to worship you. Thank you for who you are. Are and thank you that in the story we find the truth. So, God, we pray that the truth will illuminate our hearts so that we would see Jesus clearly and we would all be able to collectively say out of this room when we leave, How glorious, how great and majestic is our King Jesus. And Lord, we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I would imagine if you were on this scene or at this scene, that it would be incredibly hard for you to forget what is taking place. For, for instance, 
You have a man who is the governor, who is the representation of Rome, who is kind of overseeing all of this. And he wakes up with an idea, and maybe this is um, just Matthew's in how my brain is working here. He wakes up with, you know what, we'll execute a few thugs, a few criminals, one insurrectionist. I'll be done with my judgments, and I'll go to bed. But that's not what takes place for Pilate. We even find a guy named Barabbas who in the morning wakes up knowing that he is about to be convicted of crimes of an insurrection that he has done. Now, not just insurrection, but murdered people in the insurrection. In fact, John's gospel said that he was also a, a robber. And so this guy wakes up going, I'm going to go, this is it. I mean, I am done. But by the end of the day, that's not what happens for Barabbas. And then you get this crowd that's in here. And, and, you know, they are trying to influence with their shouting of what's taking place. And you have these religious leaders with their vitriol, like with their hatred towards Jesus. And then you have another guy. You have Jesus, the Redeemer, in this story. And all of this story is going to show us some things. But before we get to some of that, what I'd like to do is, is kind of look at each of those five characters. Well, mainly, particularly the first four, Pilate, the religious leaders, the depraved sinners is what we would call them, the, the, the guys who are on death row, and the crowd. And then lastly, we'll look at Jesus. I want to look at these characters, almost as if we're, we're looking at this as a play, if we can, and then, and then we're going to look at some of these questions, and then we'll ask ourselves some questions. Like, look at Pilate, right? Let's first notice the character of Pilate. Now, Pilate is a representative of Rome. Pilate is a governor, and how we would think of a governor who is representing the powers that be in all of the authority of Rome is right at his fingertips and right behind and has propped him up as kind of the overseer of this land. Now, we know a few things about Pilate. We, we know a few things. One of the things that we know about Pilate is that he was a very proud person. In fact, if you, not, not now, but maybe later on, on your study, on your own, you look at John's account, and it's quite a bit more in-depth look at the encounter with Jesus and Pilate. It goes from chapter 18, and it goes and bleeds into chapter 19. Jesus' silence was, a, was, was like, gave this opportunity for Pilate to kind of boast about who he is. Pilate looks at Jesus at one point and he says, don't you know who I am? And this is my paraphrase. Don't you know who I am? I have the powers of Rome and I can call down these Platorian guards and I can get you out of here and execute you in the matter of moments. And Jesus, his response, I just love Jesus' response. Jesus says to him like, you have no authority, only the authority that you have been given from heaven. So we know that, that in a sense, Pilate is a very proud person. He's a proud person. Secondly, Pilate is very cruel. The means by which he executes people is by far, from a historical perspective, one of the most grotesque and cruel punishments by means of the Roman crucifixion. I mean, just an incredibly beat down 
And, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to like lead some of us who have, who have uh, kind of stomachs that, that get like grossed out pretty quickly, but I'll let you do your own research or you could do your own Googling with it. And then you can thank me later for all of the images that you'll see. It's gross. It's grotesque. And this man, Pilate, has the power to execute a vile, disgusting execution on criminals. We also know that he's a people pleaser. So think about this. He's got to look good, right, for the Roman Empire. He can't have a mass of people who are shouting and who are, who are almost like in this uh, threshold of, uh, of, of an insurrection themselves. So he's got to, in a sense, by pleasing Rome, also please the people. And so what does Pilate do? He knows what's right. He knows this guy is innocent. He knows this man has done absolutely nothing wrong. And what does Pilate do? Because of the noise of the crowd. And that'll be a good application right there for you. By way of means of the noise of the crowd, he, instead of knowing what is right, doesn't do right. Instead, he follows after what the crowd wanted. And what did the crowd want? Jesus to be crucified. So we see that, that Pilate is a proud man. He's a very disgusting guy. He's also a person who is a people pleaser. Well, he's also a, a superstitious guy, isn't he? Remember Matthew's account. And by the way, I'm going to be referencing all of these accounts from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But if you remember, uh, um, if you remember, I believe it was Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 27, Pilate have nothing to do with this righteous man. And, and he's, for I have suffered much. And this is his wife speaking. Have nothing to do with this righteous man because I have dreamed much about him. She's like, please don't bother this guy. Like, I'm, I'm having these weird dreams about him. And, and we see that he was also unsettled by the silence of Christ. And he's unsettled by the statement of his wife. We see here that he was prepared to attempt the impossible, which, and here's the impossible, by adopting a position of neutrality when he was confronted by Jesus of Nazareth. Again, in Matthew's account, he says, washing his hands, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. But in actual fact, he's unable to do what he set out to do. You see this? Pilate wants to adopt a position of neutrality. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? If I may, isn't that what culture wants us to do? Adopt a position of neutrality when it comes to the claims of Jesus? It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, it's a baffling thing when you read through the text of the Bible and you're like, wait, wait a minute. That, that's, that's happening here and now. He's unable to do what he set out to do and he was just going to free him because in his eyes, he is an innocent man. And so secondly, we see the character here involved in this scene, this scene here, and it's the depraved sinner, and it is Barabbas. Barabbas, Barabbas. You'll notice he comes from a group of thugs. He comes from a group of insurrectionists. 
Now, I know that's a hot topic uh, for today, but we'll leave that alone. We're talking about a, a real insurrection that's, that took place here in the text of, in the confines of the context of where these people were trying to overthrow the empire of Rome. So he's a nasty guy, nasty creature. Not just trying to, to cause an insurrection, but he was a murderer in the process. In fact, um, Matthew's account tells us that he was actually very notorious. Notorious B.I.G.? Y'all, maybe that's, you don't know who that is. That's okay. Um, I'm talking to an older crowd here. Uh, maybe some of you younger folks know. Uh, actually, that, the, the older crowd would know Notorious B.I.G. But anyway, I'm digressing. It has nothing to do with Bible. It's back. Blah, blah, blah. So John interestingly gives this little sentence, and he just points out one thing about him. He doesn't mention insurrection. He doesn't mention murder. He just says he's a robber. Now, we can't bypass that. You got to put through. You got to. You got to put this through the lens of what's taking place. Who is on the left and who is on the right of Jesus Christ when he's on the cross? A robber. Again, Matthew here. This is not in the text. This is just what I think in my mind. Like what what's happening? What's got to be happening in in Barabbas's mind? But you would think like this guy is. The guilty, but he walks away, the free man. And in his place is the innocent taking the place of the guilty. Man, we, don't, we, we have no idea and we cannot speculate what happened to Barabbas. But I would love to see that joker in heaven. I would... I would love, and I know some of you are like, well, well, he's a disgusting murderer. You just said that. Well, we'll get into that in just a second. But I would love to see that guy in heaven, wouldn't you? Like, would, would, which point was it for you, Barabbas? Was it the point when you looked at Jesus and you said to yourself, that should have been me? Was it the point when you woke up in the morning, a guilty man, but you laid your head down on your pillow and said, I'm innocent? Which, which point was it in your life? We would just love to find that guy in heaven. We don't know, but we've got to be thinking that this man must have been thinking, I can't believe I just got out of jail for free. Not only did I just get out of jail, I got out of the most disgusting way of execution. But I'd be right, Barabbas, boy, I'd be like doing like this kind of like, um, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe the cha-cha or some kind of dance, boy, down the road of this, you know, town of Jerusalem, like waving my banners and like just screaming, I'm free. But we don't know what he's doing here. But you got to understand, like, he's got to be thinking something. I am the guilty, I am a murderer, I am an insurrectionist. And he has awakened the next morning a free man. It's a, it's a beautiful picture that we have of the gospel. Thirdly, we have the crowd. They're easily swayed and moved, right? Now, it is very characteristic of myself when I preach a sermon, particularly around the, uh, the Palm Sunday, right? 
And, and the sermon goes, and this is the sermons that I've given, but I've given this just a little bit more in-depth study, and I think I'm actually wrong on this, so you'll have to forgive me, that, that when, when you come up to the crowds of Palm Sunday, right? Oh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. And then that's where we insert in the sermon the very next line. You see the fickle crowd? They're screaming at his name. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And look at them right now. They're so fickle that within a week's time, they've changed their mind. Now, upon further review, all right? And I probably won't preach that sermon ever again. But upon further review, here's what we know. That that crowd that was welcoming Jesus in at Passover was who? It was the Galileans. The crowd that is trying to drive him out is who? Jerusalem, the people who are in that city. So it's very well possible that these are not the same crowds. That these are actually the people who have been opposing so much that, which is why Pilate keeps questioning, like, what is this, like, what have you done that's so, like, crazy that these people hate you so much? It's the Jewish people that has so much problem with Jesus. They got a problem with Jesus, and they are ready to let their voices be known so that they can sway those who are in power and cause the one in power to, to, to let the gavel down and give him the death sentence that they think he deserves. Then we have the religious authorities by way of the chief priest. Those who were the very representatives of the Jewish faith here, were so opposed to who, who was their king. You see, this is what Pilate just could not grasp and could not understand. Pilate goes to him. He's like, listen, I, I'm, the guy seems pretty nice. I mean, would you, like, think about this. Like, if you're on trial and you're innocent, like, I don't know. Like, I don't want to go to prison. I mean, I don't think guys like me probably do well in prison. You know what I mean? Um, like, don't let your minds wonder on that. But anyway, um, I don't think that I would do so well in prison. And so if I am before, <laughs> if I am before a judge, I am going to plead my case, right? Come on, you're innocent. Bruh, all I've been doing is just proclaiming the kingdom, I've just been healing people. I've been telling them who I am. And they've got this problem. I'm not here uh, to fight with swords. I'm not here for a physical insurrection. But Jesus doesn't do that. And, and you've got to understand why these religious people are, are, so, are so angry at Jesus. Remember, he looked at the guy and said, your sins are forgiven. And the religious people said, only God can forgive sins. Who is this man who heals lepers? Who is this man who heals on the Sabbath? And then when they questioned him in the garden, if you remember this last week, who do you say that you are? Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, ego on me, I am. And you will see me, on the son of man, on the clouds of glory. He's giving him his identity, his divine divinity, 
uh, of his identity. And he's also telling them, not only am I God, but now you will see the vindication by way of me rising from the dead. And in just a matter of a few years, Jerusalem itself will fall. All of those institutions that you've been bowing your knee to will crumble. And then you'll look to the sky. And then you'll be waving your hands to the heaven. And then you'll have the epiphany. You were the Christ. You were the Messiah. They just couldn't take it. Like, who is this guy who does this? And then you have Jesus, very quiet. He's not pleading his case. In fact, he's, he's given some interesting things to Pilate. And by way of means, you've got to go back and look at John's account of this. John chapter 18 and, verse, and chapter 19. And he says, are you, who are you? And Jesus is silent. He says, really, who are you? Are you the king? And Jesus looks at him and says, I am that you say that I am. In other words, Jesus is like, yeah, I'm, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. And Jesus says, I am the truth. You'll know the truth. And Pilate gives this infamous uh, phrase here. And I'm just paraphrasing this. And Pilate says, what is truth? What is truth? Isn't that the question that's, that's just permeating throughout our culture today? What is truth? Well, I have my truth and you have your truth. And so we'll just let that be truth. But we all have to come to a conclusion. That there's just one truth. There's one truth. There's, there's one truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the truth is Jesus. And we find it in the truth of the word of God. Jesus doesn't respond. He's listening to the crowds. And, and, I, and I think in my mind, and, and this is just how my brain works, when Jesus is around crowds, what, what Jesus must have been thinking. And I can look back at what he was thinking and what he said when he was around other crowds, when Jesus would have compassion on the people before they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then in just a matter of a few moments, Jesus will cry out with a loud voice, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. So Jesus surely hearing this crowd tell him, crucify him, kill him, put him to death by way of the means of the most despicable way of crucifixion, kill him. And Jesus is having compassion on these people. Now, look at some of these questions, and this will go pretty rapidly here. Look at some of these questions. Pilate said to them, this is the first question, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Isn't that a fascinating question? Because they do not, <laughs> they don't even see him as their king. They don't see him as their Messiah. And so I don't know if, if Pilate is doing this just to kind of, tickle their ears or maybe to get them a little bit more like riled up or something like I don't, I don't know I don't know the intent of why Pilate is asking this question but certainly this is an opportunity for him to release Jesus because of this statement that we just read that you know once a year they'll be able to they'll be able to release some guy Oh, you just think about like I, I put this in terms of a I wrote this down that I put this in terms of a presidential pardon you guys know what a presidential pardon is. It's when the president pardons his best friends. By the way, by the way, I I I I don't I don't I don't fancy myself as somewhat of a historian, but I do enjoy history. There were only two presidents, and this has nothing to do. I just thought you know you'll be more knowledgeable about pardons when you leave here. Uh, the, only two presidents that did not pardon, 
And I only know one of them, and I didn't do the research further into it, but one of them was Garfield. And the only reason why he didn't pardon anyone is because he was assassinated a couple months into his presidency. So by the way, now you are more knowledgeable about pardons. And so now we have the opportunity, and Pilate is pressing upon the people. What is it? Like, I, I just don't understand. Uh, do you want me to release Jesus, the king of the Jews? Yeah, of course. They're like, of course we do. Are you kidding me? Release him. Crucify him. We'd rather have Barabbas. We'd rather have the insurrectionist, the murderer, the robber. Maybe because they identified more with the sinner. I don't know. They just, they couldn't stand this Jesus. Which leads me to this question, which is the next question. What shall I do then with the man you, you call the king of the Jews? Or another parallel passage is it says, what shall I do with Jesus who is called the, the Christ? Very practical question. I'm only allowed to release one. And you're choosing the sinner. You're choosing the guilty. What do I do? with this Jesus guy? What do I do with the perfect, sinless Savior? What do I do with him? And that's, that's he's asking like, what, what, what do you expect me to do with this guy? He's innocent. What do I do with Jesus? And that, my friends, is the same question that plagues everyone. What do we do with this Jesus? I mean, I remember asking uh, or talking to an agnostic years ago. He's like, yeah, I believe in God. I get, I get it. There, there has to be something behind all of this. But what I cannot get and what I cannot wrap my mind around is this Jesus character. Oh, what do we do with Jesus? Pilate's asking the question. And the question, maybe some of you have come in here this morning asking the same thing. Well, what do I do with Jesus? What am I going to do with him? Because what Pilate wants to do is Pilate wants to choose the path of neutrality. But you cannot choose neutrality when it comes to Jesus. You cannot say, you know what? He was a good guy. You just, he's either Christ the king or he is absolutely nothing to you. There is no middle of the ground when it comes to the Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no neutrality. What are we going to do? Barabbas is justifiably imprisoned for insurrection. And we too are with Barabbas. Imprisoned with our own insurrection to the king of kings. That we want nothing to do with your kingdom, but I'll be the Lord of my own kingdom. And I'll overthrow your kingdom with my own kingdom. Isn't that all of us? That at one point in our life, before coming to faith in Jesus Christ, we at one point, we were right there with Barabbas. We were the insurrectionists. And if Christ isn't your king, you are continuing in the path of being Barabbas, the insurrectionist. Because I want nothing to do. I won't bow my knee to King Jesus. I'll bow my, bow my knee to my own agenda. 
I, I will bow my knee to wealth, to success, to happiness, to what pleases me in the moment. But I will not abandon my life and follow Christ in after his kingdom. You're a Barabbas. You're the insurrectionist. You see what Jesus, Jesus calls us into his kingdom. Not so that you can build your own, but so that you can bow to his. Because there's only one king and it's Jesus. What do we do? That's the question. What do we do with Jesus? I'm reading uh, Surprised by Joy by C.S. Lewis. Fascinating book so far. A little biography of C.S. Lewis. And in it, he explains how he began building on the framework of his faith. And he talks about in the beginning of the book of his childhood and around the age of nine, he, his mother dies. And he has a crisis and he leaves the faith and he walks out of the doors of the Anglican church and he says, I will have nothing to do with Jesus. C.S. Lewis calls himself in the beginning a reluctant convert. He gives a story about he arrives in Oxford and he got out of the railway, rail, railway station and he mistakenly began to walk in the opposite direction of where he had intended to go. And he noticed, well, this is interesting. He, he observes the shops. He observes the, the faces of the buildings as being dreadfully just plain, as he put it. Only when he reached the edge of Oxford did he realize what he'd done. He'd gone the wrong direction until he turned around and he looked back, and then he saw the city and the towering buildings and the beauty that constitutes the city of Oxford. And he tells the story, C.S. Lewis says, this little adventure was an allegory of my whole life, walking away in the wrong direction, finally being turned around and looking and seeing the beauty and the wonder of who Jesus is and what he's done. He come to a conclusion with what he's going to do with Jesus. And he writes for us all of these beautiful <laughs> books that we have as a theologian and dedicates his whole life to Christ. And the same question plagues us here. And if you're in the earshot of my voice, you have to answer and wrestle with the question, what do I do with Jesus? The guilty is about to go free, and the innocent is about to be punished. It's unjust. That's what this is. Peter puts it later. He finally gets his life together, by the way. Well, he does it. The Holy Spirit captures him and becomes bold and courageous. And he explains in his letter, 1 Peter 3, explains this injustice. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to reconciliation to God. Paul even addresses it in his letter to Romans. He says that in this, he has this amazing thing that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While I was in my sin, while I was an insurrectionist, while I was a robber, while I was in my shame, while I was in my grief, in my sin, Christ picked me up. And he carried me, and he sustained me, and he saved me. My senior year of high school, well, this wasn't my senior year of high school. This was me throughout high school. You see, I was a very 
horrible high school student. In fact, I was the one that when teachers saw coming down the halls, please don't be in my class. Please don't be in my class. It was just a, we're all people here. I was just a turd. Tried to polish myself up every now and then, but it just wouldn't work. I didn't care. I mean, maybe it was childhood trauma. I don't really, I don't know. It was just a combination of things. I just didn't care. And I, would always, like, and I remember getting into my senior year and the teacher would tell me, uh, the, 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 the teacher would tell me, there's still a chance if you just get your grade up. By the way, I'm not the only one in this room that's heard that. I feel some of your eyes going, oh, that was me. I was that guy. I was that lady. The teacher would tell me, if you could just get your grade up, if you could just get your grade up, there's still a chance. And somehow or another, many people have viewed this whole notion of Christianity, somehow or another, this uh, vaguely religious, but if I can just get into the honors program, that if I can just get my grade up, then Christ would love me. Then, then why then would Christ die? That if it's based on you getting your grades up, why then the need of Christ's suffering? There is no grade that you or I could ever get up that would negate the work of Jesus that he is about to go through. There's no lousy score. There's no acing it through that can leave you outside. The wonder of his love and the story collapses on itself in verse 15. If you notice, and I'm almost done, wishing to satisfy the crowd. There it is. Pilate released for them Barabbas. And having beaten Jesus, turned him over to be crucified. There's a lesson right there for us, right? Maybe it's in your work that the crowds of the people are silencing you from becoming this courageous person who has said, I was a wretch, but Christ saved me. Young people who are about to go back to school, maybe it's the crowds of your, your, your peers and your friends that are silencing you. And so I want you to see this warning sign here, like do not allow the crowds to be so influential in your faith that it silences you. Well, I'll just live my life as a private Christian. Yeah, what is that chapter and verse, please? You know why you can't find it? Because it's not in there. Your faith is to be lived out in all spheres of your life. I mean, you remember the Sunday school, this little light of mine. I'm going to let, like, I don't need to sing it to you. You remember that. Let it shine. Let it shine. If you don't know it, Google it. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. These are the characters that we have. Notice what happens to all of them. What happens to Pilate? Under the authority of Rome, what happens to Rome? What happens to the Roman Empire? I could tell you. It's not there. It collapsed. You see, the silence of Jesus was enough to take down one of the most incredible empires in history. And you could go see, I've been to Rome. I've, I've walked down those cobblestone streets that are 2,000 years old. What is there left? 
nothing but buildings that are crumbling. In fact, the main Colosseum, only parts of it, very small parts of it, can you go through? But do you know what's on the Colosseum? Where they persecuted our brothers and sisters in Christ, where they threw them into the lions, where they crucified them. What is on that Colosseum? Yet but a cross of Christ. You could try to silence Jesus, but you will crumble at his feet in the process. I think of modern day history about what's happening in China when, when we've watched the, the wicked onslaught of Christian persecution taking place there, Iran, North Korea. Listen, you know what it's doing? It's only fueling the voice of the church and growing it. You know why? Because you cannot silence what Jesus has done. Listen to me. Every nation, they'll crumble. But hear me. Every nation will one day bow its knee to the king, Jesus. That's what happened to Rome. What happened to the crowd? Well, we don't really know. We hope that some of them saw what took place and on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, hopefully some of them were there. And they're like, yeah, we witnessed the whole thing. What happened to the religious leaders? Again, we don't know. We see that some of the religious leaders gave their life to Christ in Acts, but not all of them because they were so you know, into their own religiosity that they just could not see Christ for who he really is. What happened to Barabbas? Again, we don't know. What happened to Jesus? They crucified him. But three days later, he got out of the grave. And just a few weeks out of there, he ascended into the heaven. And he said to his boys, he said, all the authority has been given unto me. And where is Jesus? He is ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father right now. He's ruling and reigning now. I wonder if you've, you've asked the question, what do I do with this Jesus? Well, have you turned to him? Have you submitted your life to him? Salvation's available. It's nothing you have to go work for. It's nothing that you have to go pull your grades up and then go show everybody else, hey, I'm doing better. I've done this. And then Jesus is like, oh, that, a boy pats you on the back. Have you trusted Christ alone for your salvation.